All right, well, <clears throat> we are going to get going. Uh, does everyone have a hymnal nearby? Okay, we're going to sing hymn number one. And just take a moment, I'm not going to read it through, but just take a moment before we sing to cast your eyes over all four verses. And just, just take a moment to read all four verses while I sing coffee. I'm supposed to be wearing this. I'll put it on after. Heavenly Father, thank you for the day that you have given us to worship you. Uh, thank you for the day that you have given us to rest from all of our, our toil, all of our labor. Um, that we would most especially rest from uh, the, the striving for, um, for favor with you 
that we ought never really to have because Jesus is our Sabbath rest. And thank you for the day that you have set aside, knowing that we are weak, knowing that we are, um, we are anxious, and you set this day um, for us to specifically meditate upon your benefits to us, that we would forget them not, and that we would give you the thanks and praise that is due your name because of all that you have done for us and because of who you are. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, let me get this thing up. So, for those of you who just walked in, we sang uh, hymn number one, All People That On Earth Do Dwell. And in that hymn, uh, as I was just saying, that is sort of the, the summary of what we're going to talk about today. So we're in a series on Thanksgiving. Last week, we talked kind of in an overview. Greg gave us an overview of, um, of what we might be encountering in the book. So we talked, about, um, we talked about what is Thanksgiving. And does anyone remember some of his points about what Thanksgiving entails? It's directed towards a person. Okay. That one's huge. It's directed towards a person. What else? There's some sort of action or something that was done by that person before us. Yeah, so there's something about it's directed to a person for something that they've done, right? It's not divorced from something they've done. What else? We have a response to, to show our thankfulness, some sort of response. Yeah, yeah, there's a, there's, um, uh, the Bible, we're, we're going to look at passages that talk about make a sacrifice of thanksgiving. There's something that we do, but in addition to something that we do, the response is also something inside of us. Uh, there's a, there's a, a feeling um, that we should have. Um, and uh, as, as Presbyterians and growing up partly as a RPCNA, feelings can seem like a really bad word. Um, but we ought to have feelings as we think about God's goodness. And we also talked about the idea of, uh, of your, your faith dragging your feelings along. So, so those, were, those were some of the things we talked about from last week. What else did we, did anyone else have things from last week that really stuck in their minds? Thankfulness is connected to worship. Yes. That's a big one with the response. Like there's something that we do and, and worship. In fact, um, I was actually going to bring this up later, but this is, a, this is just as good a time as any. This is from a guy named Henry Scudder. He says, This praise and thanksgiving is a religious service, wherein a man makes known to God that he acknowledges every good thing to come from him. And that he is worthy of all praise and glory for the infinite excellency of his wisdom, power, goodness, and all his other holy and blessed attributes manifested in his word and works. And that he is beholden to God for all that he has had, now has, and which he still hopes to enjoy. That's a great paragraph to think about preparing for worship. <laughs> that that we're, we're thinking about all that he has done that is, uh, that is good to us. Um, and, uh, and we make that known back to God. So, yes, it's connected with worship. So, <clears throat> today we're going to focus on, um, on the rightness of gratitude. So, next week, 
uh, we'll talk about the wisdom of gratitude. But today we want to think about why is it right? As we just saying, why is it seemly so to do? Um, and every time I, I teach Sunday school on something around Christian living, I'm reminded of a, uh, of a quote in J.I. Packer's uh, introduction to knowing God. And he's actually quoting C.S. Lewis from The Four Loves. And so uh, the, the, the section from the introduction, those who like myself, those like myself, whose imagination far exceeds their obedience, are subject to a just penalty. We easily imagine conditions far higher than we have ever actually reached. If we describe what we have imagined, we may make others and make ourselves believe that we have really been there. And Packer inserts, and so fool them, both them and ourselves. It's incredibly convicting uh, to, to be thinking about these things while continuing to be a, uh, a miserable sinner. And so to dispel any tomfoolery, the past three weeks have been exceptionally terrible in my personal life on Thanksgiving. Just put it out there. Anything I'm saying is not because I am an amazing, thankful person. It is actually, it's been uh, kind of, um, it's, it's been very convicting having to study while being rather uh, grumpy. And I could blame this on circumstances, but my circumstances fall in the realm of frustrations. Uh, and in that same three-week span of time, we as a, a body have seen each other go through things that are far worse than breaking a glass pan in the oven. Uh, we've seen far worse things uh, that people are enduring and that can, that can make us weighed down and, uh, and, and can squelch our thankfulness. So no, it's not my circumstances. Making it worse, making it worse because I was preparing for this Sunday school, while I was feeling grumpy and miserable, I was thinking to myself bitterly, I'm supposed to be thankful. <laughs> and sadly, that did not lead to a change in actions. That led to continuing on to be grumpy. Um, and to publicly commend my wife, she is very sweet despite my grumpiness. Um, now, this is especially convicting as I think about those past few weeks in light, of, um, in light of the following statement. Demons are believers without gratitude. Demons are believers without gratitude. Thoughts. True? False? Mm. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, they were there, they were angels, and then they rebelled, and they've seen a lot more than we have. So, yep. they have firsthand knowledge, they don't hear God, love God. Yeah. So, we're going to look at a passage in just a moment, but at, so, so this, this statement is convicting because before this, this several week period of being especially grumpy and miserable, uh, those were the words I wrote as I was thinking through the chapter that we were reading. And so those words came back to me as I was being grumpy and miserable. Um, and, and there was a part of me that would want to say, you know what, those were just the smug words of someone who was not going through anything and, and maybe I should recant. But I can't recant. Yeah, you can't do that. Despite 
despite the fact that I was acting like a demon, I cannot recant from the statement, demons are believers without gratitude. As Michelle already pointed out, and as James would, uh, would reiterate, or maybe vice versa, Michelle was reiterating what James said, uh, no offense. Um, James says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder, right? So the demons know God's works, they know his character, but they don't like him, they don't love him, they don't give him the the praise that he's due, they don't thank him. Um, But this cannot be for the Christian. This, this, uh, This is unacceptable for us. And so we want to focus on why is that true? Why, what, what about gratitude is right? So again, as we go through this, I don't want to pretend as though anything we're talking about is easy. This is not a, uh, on one hand, it's like the easiest thing in the world. Because as we, as, we as we think about who God is, as we think about his works towards us, like there should be a part of us that asks, like, how can you not be gra- grateful? And yet, the reality is, we are fallen and sinful, and it is hard. Uh, it, is, it is work. We, we cannot do it on our own. We require the Holy Spirit in order to do all that we're doing. So, this is not a just think more about what God's done, and that'll just be the, 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 magic, the magic trick. It's nothing that you can think. It's nothing that you can prepare by itself. We need, um, we need God's Spirit to, to help us. But thinking about a study like this, the reason why a study like this is so important is because it helps us to to fan into flames, as Pastor David has talked about before, fanning into flames uh, the the little spark of gratitude that we might have. And in the moments where where we're not maybe battered down and and um, and and we have we have a moment on the Lord's Day to to meditate upon God. Uh, this is the type of thing that we can that we can think now about. How do we apply this to our hearts when we're facing hardship, uh, when we're battling a lack of gratitude? So these are these are things to store in our hearts, uh, in our hearts now. So let's dive into why is it right to obey God. Don't answer because I don't want you to steal any of my points, but just think to yourself for a moment. Maybe write it down. If someone said, why is it right? Why should, why should I give thanks? What would you say? Just think. What would you say? Th- Thomas especially. Don't answer yet. <laughs> Just sitting right out here to make you nervous. That's okay. So, um, so we're, we're thinking about the question, why... What would you say if someone, if you were to answer uh, someone's question, why is it right to give thanks to God? Don't say it out loud, just think about it. Everyone have some ideas? All right, cool. So one reason that we could take, actually, I'm just going to, I'm just going to ask like two people. Two people willing to give a single reason what they would answer. Lucy. Because Thanksgiving comes from love. Okay. Thanksgiving comes from love. That's a good answer. What else? Thomas. You just walked in. You don't get... You, <laughs> you, didn't, you called on me. Okay, fine. God is good. God is good. Okay. Okay. Good. These are all great. Um, but we could start with 
the same reason we, we could easily start with the same reason that uh, that children are commanded to obey their parents. Why why are children in Ephesians commanded to obey their parents? Because this is right. Thank you all. <laughs> we could we could stop there. Um, we could also think about it in terms of the fact that it's a command. And it, it's frequently a command. Psalm 33, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Psalm 100, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. These are commands. They're joyful commands, but they're commands. Uh, Psalm 50, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High God. Interestingly, uh, the Westminster Larger Catechism in answering what are the duties required in the second commandment, uh, thou shalt not take the uh, name of the Lord your God in vain, includes thanksgiving as a, as a positive application of that command. Uh, all such religious worship and ordinances as God hath instituted, excuse me, keeping, etc., 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 I'm just skipping ahead, particularly prayer and thanksgiving in the name of Christ. So included in their application of that command is that we're to be thankful. So it's a command. Again, we could stop there, but A, the psalmists rarely do when they exhort us to give thanks. And that alone is interesting. So these commands come from God's word, which was written by men under the holy, uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And they were commanding this to, to, they were exhorting us to do this because they actually felt the exhortation that they were giving. They were not saying, give thanks. I was told to pass on orders here. Their heart is, is, is welled up with gratitude and they're saying to all of God's people throughout time, give thanks to the Lord. Sing to his name. It's, it's there, the command is coming from fellow believers. It's coming ultimately from God, but it's coming through fellow believers who felt the gratitude that they gave. So we want to plumb the depths of that. What do they focus on? What are, is the psalm, are the psalmists especially focusing on when they tell us to give thanks? We're going to look at it in two, uh, two broad headings, God's character and God's works. So <clears throat> we can't rip these two things apart, though, because ultimately we see God's character in his works. And yet they are, they are, there's an order to how we think about them. The order is God's works flow from his character, right? So unsurprisingly, in light of that, we see a, a, a pattern where the psalmist, uh, the psalmist will say, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. What's that focused on? His character. For his steadfast love endures forever, which is partly character. Again, we can't rip them apart, but it's really more focused on what? His works. This is how he interacts with his people. And we see, interestingly, that exact same phrase uh, echoed all over the Old Testament. Uh, just to name a few, it's in so that exact same phrase is in Psalm 106, 107, 118, 136, and sometimes multiple uh, instances in one chapter. 
So we see that pattern. Um, so there's a flow here, and I think we even see that, that flow used uh, of, of works flowing out of character in Jesus' uh, own words. As he's talking about um, God answering prayer, he says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven good, give good gifts to those who ask him? Right? So he's rooting this idea of, of works flowing out of character. If even you who are evil can have good things flow out of you, how much more your Father in heaven? All right, so as we think about that word, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. There's a weight in the simplicity of the word good. And in that word is contained, like the, it's, like the, it's like the tip of an iceberg, and the iceberg goes hundreds of thousands of feet deeper. I know that that's maybe not always possible, but we're using hyperbole because good is such a small word, and yet it describes so much. Like in our culture, I have a British boss, and he ribs Americans all the time for like over exuberance. He's like, you guys can't, you guys, like everything's great. Everything's amazing. How, how's your work? How's your day? Fantastic. And, and he's like, it's, it's too much. Like, chill. Just calm down. But consequently, uh, our view of the word good sometimes reflects that. It's like, if I come up to Josh and I say, hey, how was your day? And he says, oh, it was good. I would, again, I'm guilty of this. I would probably be like, well, what could have made it great? What, what, what was wrong? <laughs> what went wrong? And yet, while we do have, a, I think, a low view of this great word, good, uh, sometimes we, do, we don't mean it that way. So if I told you that Rebecca is a good woman, there's something better about that than if I just said, Rebecca's the best, right? Yeah, the best is superlative. But you would very easily chalk that up to your bias because you're her husband, right? I mean, like, the best is so, I don't know, there's something empty there. But if I say she's a good woman, I'm almost, I'm, I'm almost putting her character before you to weigh her in the balance. Because I'm saying, not only do I think she's amazing, but if you were to examine her, you would find her to be good as well. There's a moral component to the word good. And there's the same exact truth in, in these uh, Psalms. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And we see that especially uh, illustrated in Psalm 54. With a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. So there we, we see uh, even more uh, emphasized that he's focused on God's character. Because as we know, uh, Lucy just heard this from a different psalm, actually the same psalm, Psalm 54. When, when we're talking about uh, God's name, we're, we're really talking about what? His character. We're talking about all of his attributes, who he is. So the most beautiful, I, I shouldn't say that, the most beautiful. There might be other, the other, other great portions as well. I think one of the most beautiful descriptions, and I think it is theologically like a chair text for God's, uh, for God's character, 
is Exodus 34, 6 through 7. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed, this is why I can back up my, my statement, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So God is, the Lord is declaring his name. And he comes and he says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and th- faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So when, da- when the psalmist, it's, sometimes it's David, sometimes it's other people, when, this, when the psalmists and scripture writers are saying, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, or give thanks to, the, to his name for he is good, he's taking all that we see in Exodus and throughout scripture and saying, his, his mercy, it's good. His faithfulness is good. His justice in, uh, in not clearing the guilty and visiting iniquity is good. He's saying all that is in God's character is good. Um, in addition to God being good, though, we also see that he's sovereign, and that's crucial. Because we, we, uh, we know the phrase, you know, all it takes for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Exactly. So, <clears throat> because if God were only good, that wouldn't necessarily help us. I think if we actually think about the definition of the word good, good men couldn't let evil triumph because if they let evil triumph, they wouldn't be good. So, uh, anyhow, but you get the idea. We need God not only to be good, but we need him to be sovereign. And we see that in Psalm 100. Know that the Lord, he is God. The word used there is Elohim, which is the same word for God used when? At creation, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, it was the spirit of Elohim who was, who was hovering over the face of the waters. So know that the Lord, and the word that there is used, the, the, the word for Lord is Yahweh. So it's know that Yahweh is Elohim. So this covenant God is also the creator God. It is he who made us, and we are his. Um, so <clears throat> we see that it's the creator God, and, uh, and it emphasizes that when it says, it is he who made us, and we are his. Or another, uh, another alternate interpretation there could be, and not we ourselves. It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. Which is putting the hierarchical order in place. God, here. We are here. God is sovereign. We are not. And so, this good God is, is powerful. He's in control of all events. Everything that we have comes from him. So <clears throat> that, that would be a, a, a foundational reason. Um, that A foundational reason for thanks would be in thinking about God's character. Again, we can't rip it from his works. But a foundational reason for thanksgiving. Why is it right? It's because God is sovereign and he is good. Does that make sense? Any thoughts or questions? If you were only sovereign, it would be scary. Yeah. Because he would just be in control of everything, but you wouldn't know whether or not his his works were gonna benefit you or whether or not you were gonna be safe or protected. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it, it doesn't say know that God exists. Yep. It's know that the covenant Lord, Yahweh, is God. Mm-hmm. Like tying those two things together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God without goodness. Uh, it's okay if you haven't seen it. It's not that great. But X-Men Apocalypse, there's this scene where this, like, this God-type mutant is... This becomes like this giant thing and he takes Xavier and he just puts his hand on him and he just crushes his chest on the, on the ground. It's, just, it's a terrifying scene and everything. But that would, be, that would be a sovereign God who is not good. That would be a, except that could be towards the wicked. But like if that's, if that's all, then we don't have comfort. Okay, so it's so hard to, again, we can't rip these apart because it's so hard to talk about God's character without like rushing to his works. And so it was really hard preparing this to try to not talk about his works just yet. So let's get to his works, because that's where we see evidence of, of God's goodness. And it, it necessarily flows out of his character. So underpinning uh, this, entire, uh, this entire section is that the Lord, he is God, right? We are always recipients. Because he is sovereign, we are always in the position of recipients. Um, as Paul delivers that, that apologetic at the Areopagus to the, the men of Athens, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. We're always recipients. Because God is sovereign. Now that's crucial because we can, never, we can never think, well, I did that, right? I worked really hard for this, so it must be mine. Nope. Gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Um, there's, a, there's a trite little joke that's, I can't decide if I love it or if it's too trite. But this scientist tells God, you know, we've, we're, we're cloning uh, humans. We can make humans. Like, we're good. Thank you so much for everything you've done, but we're, we're set now. And God says, oh, yeah, make your own dirt. Um, you know, it's, <laughs> everything we have to do anything requires what God has already given us. So <clears throat> if we can... We're going to modify the Westminster Confession of uh, Faith today a little bit. Or not modify it. We're going to amend it. And hopefully, you know, a bunch of you are starting to get a little nervous. But just bear with. So Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, chapter 15.5. Man ought not to content themselves with a general repentance, but it is every man's duty to endeavor to repent of his particular sins particularly. So we're going to add a section, um, maybe to chapter 16, as it's talking about worship. Maybe we'll throw a, a, throw a little point in there. Man ought not to content themselves with general thankfulness, but it is every man's duty to endeavor to give thanks for God's particular gifts, particularly. Okay, we're, as far as amendments to the Westminster Confession, we'll, we'll, we'll think about it. 
But that same concept of, of confessing particular sins particularly, I think should be applied to giving thanks. We should give thanks to God for particular gifts as a, in categories, but also particularly. So as you think about God's goodness, you should give thanks for God's goodness. But you should also give thanks for God, God's goodness to you. Think through the week, the day, the last hour. What are the things that God, how, how did God express his character to you? So that's our amendment to the Westminster Confession of Faith. You um, stick that in that chapter. What's that? In 16. No. I would just, put it in 16. Yeah. Um, chapter 21 on religious worship. Paragraph 3. Are you coming to this? Nope. Okay. Prayer with thanksgiving, being one special part of religious worship, is by God required of all men. And that it may be acceptable, it is to be made in the name of the Son, by the help of the Spirit, according to His will, and with understanding, reverence, humility, fervency, faith, love, and perseverance, and if vocal, in a known tongue. <laughs> that's good. That's, that's good. So maybe we'll put this, maybe we'll put our little phrase in a commentary on that section. Right. Maybe that's safer. Um, <clears throat> so, so we want to consider this under two headings. Creationally, I know that's not a word, and covenantally. So God's work to us in creation and God's work to us in covenant. But covenantally is better and creationally I just made up to, to work with that. But under those, I think it's important to think corporately and personally. Now, we don't have time to plumb the depths here, but this is good devotional fodder for you. Uh, and I think it's really important to, uh, to combat, to combat um, uh, a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, on one hand, to combat an individualistic approach to life by thinking about corporate gifts. But we also need to combat a, well, God loves the church, but maybe not me, by thinking about personal gifts. So I think these two headings need to be thought through um, in both of those. So creationally, as a people, as a universe, it's easy, to, it's easy for us to focus on all that is... Um, as we think about the corporate side of this, when we look around at the world, it's a mess. Uh, if we, we wake up, we look in the mirror, it's a mess. We look at the news, it's a mess. Uh, we, we interact with our coworkers, it's a mess. And it's very easy for us to focus on, wow, the world is broken. And it is. I'm not here to tell you otherwise. But given how messed up the world is, isn't it amazing at how beautiful creation is? Like, we don't deserve it. God, think about, um, think about Middle Earth in The Lord of the Rings, right? There's this sense in which where, where pleasantness is in the Shire, it also looks pretty. And where darkness is, it looks hard and like wicked and it just like, it looks like it is. And yet that's not true in our world. We should be living, we should look around us because we're more like Mordor, let's be honest. We're more Mordor than the Shire. So it should look more like Mordor. And yet we have, I'm grumpy and I wake up and I go outside for a walk 
and it's beautiful. And there are birds chirping. And there are, there's, a, there, there's, there's this amazing contrast. And sometimes that contrast can make us like more cynical, but that contrast should make us more thankful. Why does God continue to bless us with visual beauty? Why does he give us anything good when the world and ourselves are as broken as we are? Well, again, it flows from his character. He is good. He's merciful. It's part of his character to give us these good things, even amidst our own mess. Um, Proverbs 30 is a famous passage that goes through just thinking about how amazing certain things are. It's, the whole thing isn't necessarily meditating on how amazing creation is, but there's, there are several verses. One, uh, one example would be, uh, I, I didn't write down the verse number, I'm sorry, but it's kind of towards the middle. Three things are too wonderful for me, four I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a virgin. So, just a side note, but another interesting thing here is it's also looking at these wonderful things that God created, but also allowed man to create, like a ship on the high seas. How amazing that God lets us build ships and airplanes. When you're sitting, when you're sitting in an airplane and, and you've just, like there's a comedian that talks about you're sitting in the airplane, everyone's complaining, and you're like, I am in a seat flying through the air. Like, that's amazing. Why does God let us do those things? Again, because he's, he's kind to us. Uh, he's also merciful to creation. Uh, we see in Psalm 145, in verse 9, the Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. So, God, uh, God there's a, in Matthew, says he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on uh, the just and the unjust. So, so God is kind and merciful. His character is shown not only to his people, but to all of all the world. Uh, the eyes of all look to you. This is again in Psalm 45, uh, 145. And you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. So, that's just two little examples of how we can give thanks to God in, in how he interacts with all of creation. But then think about yourselves. Think about yourselves. Psalm 139. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I was just talking with Josh about, that he was telling me about the lymphatic system and cardiovascular system, and you, many of you, you, you two especially, know way more about this than I do. And yet, like, does it blow your mind that you have an organ, or maybe several, but at least the liver that can like regenerate if it's injured? Like, that's pretty cool. That's pretty amazing. I don't see any of like the new robots coming with that. Um, like. And, and as the author of our book says, like, you, di- you didn't ask for that. You didn't put in a request for that. God gave you that. You didn't ask for two eyes. God gave you that. Two kidneys. God gave you that. Just, like, do an inventory of you. There's so much fodder there to give thanks to God for. Um, but also covenantally. Uh, all, especially covenantally. Corporately, um, 
we can't say give thanks to the Lord, give thanks to Yahweh without thinking about the covenant aspect of God's character. Because Yahweh is the covenant name for God. That's what he, that's what he uses in those covenants. So a, an amazing psalm to work through and, and, and think about God's covenant faithfulness and give thanks is Psalm 105. And here's the deal. Because of God's covenant and the continuation, the, the, the continuity between old and new, when we see God's faithfulness to Israel, who is that also faithful to? Us, right? It's not just, oh, look at that example. God, must, God was nice to them, so he must be nice to us. No, 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 no. God was, God's faithfulness to Abraham has direct impact on us. God's faithfulness to Isaac and Jacob has direct impact on us. Um, so Psalm 105 goes through and it, it, it considers the, the promise, starting with Abraham, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. And then it walks through the, the major epochs from there to the conquest of Canaan. Uh, 16 through 22 tell of how Joseph uh, was sent to Egypt. To Why was Joseph sent to Egypt? Ultimately? What's that? Yeah. Yeah. So all the trials that Joseph went through were, were so that Joseph would be able to prepare for the famine that God was going to send. Again, the famine came from God. The famine that God was going to send, Joseph was sent before to prepare so that not just, not just Israel, not just Jacob's family would be blessed, but even, even Egypt and the surrounding areas, right? So he, it recounts that, uh, uh, that part of the, the story. 23 through 38 talks about how Israel came to Egypt and then became bound in slavery. And then God worked all of his miracles. Now, interestingly, it doesn't say he worked all of these miracles so that he would take them out. It says he works all these miracles and then he brought them out. <laughs> They're two distinct things, right? Because those miracles and wonders were to show Egypt who is God and to show Israel who is your God. So it recounts that. And then 39 through 45 talks about how he was with them in, uh, in, the, in the desert, in the wilderness, right? And again, with them. The covenant God is the, the with you God that tabernacles. And it talks about how he was in cloud by day and fire by night. And he gave them bread in abundance. He opened a rock and, and water gushed out like a river in the, in the desert. Um, and all because... Uh, the, the, reason, the reason given towards the end of that psalm is uh, because he remembered his holy promise and Abraham, his servant. So his covenant faithfulness, again, is, is repeated from generation to generation. And so as we look at Psalm 105, we have cause to give thanks to God because that faithfulness was to us. And we can continue to trace that faithfulness all the way to the cross. And we can continue to trace that faithfulness all the way to our own lives, right? And so as we think about God's goodness to us personally, I, 
I love uh, how Psalm 118 says, You are my God. You are my God, and I will give you I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will extol you. There's a, uh, there's a greediness that we can we can have. Maybe that's the wrong word. But there's like we should emphasize as we worship, this is my God. So as you go up to worship this morning, you can give thanks because he's yours and you're his. He's not just the Lord in an abstract sense. He's not just this this supreme being. He is my God. Romans 8.28, this kind of comes into into play with 8.28 when it says, And we know that for those who love God... All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. If we're called according to his purpose and he is my God, then we can have, we can have faith knowing that everything we experience is for our good. Everything we experience is flowing from his, his character, his mercy, his love, his steadfastness, his faithfulness. And the rubber really hits the road there with trials. The rubber really hits the road when you have deaths, you have fires, you have, uh, you have hard things happening in your life. And it's, it's not, as, as, uh, as Thomas and I were, were fleshing out together, I'll put it mildly like that, um, it's not that you're, you're thankful in the abstract that something bad happened. You're thankful because the God who loves you gave that to you. As, as Samuel Rutherford said in a letter to, uh, to a, a woman in distress, do not faint. The wicked may hold the bitter cup to your head, but God mixeth it, and there is no poison in it. They strike, but God moves the rod. Shimei curseth, but it is because the Lord bids him. Think about it this way. You could wake up one morning and find that your arm was lopped off. It's just a stump. You're looking, at, you're looking at the stump of an arm. And it's in pain. You have those phantom pains as if your arm is still there. And you could think to yourself, who did this? Whoever did this is a monster. And I'm going to go hunt him down with my other arm. Why would, and become despair that like, I don't have an arm anymore. And I don't mean to trivialize how horrible that would be. And yet, that same man with the same stub, if he remembered that the night before the doctor amputated his arm because of gangrene spreading throughout his body, he could say with a genuine heart, I'm thankful that I don't have this part of my arm because having that part of my arm would mean my death. I wouldn't be here now. That's how we have to receive every single trial that the God gives us. And I'm, I'm telling you, it's convicting for me to say that because I did far worse with far less trial in the last weeks. But we have to because of who God is. And that's why thankfulness has to be rooted in God's character. All right, I'm so sorry. I conveniently made it so we can't have any questions, Thomas. And uh, um, we uh, we should um, we should we should pray and uh, and go up and worship. But may we go up and worship with hearts that are 
that are exuberant because of God's faithfulness. Heavenly Father, we do praise you that you are the Lord and you are God. You are Yahweh and you are Elohim. And you, you show that to us in your works. You have shown it to your people from, <laughs> from, from Adam uh, and then especially in your covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and continuing on in the new covenant as you graft Gentiles into your people you continue to show that faithfulness to us individually, and we pray that it would be in light of those benefits, in light of gratitude for all that you have done for us as a people and as individuals, that we would go up and worship you and extol your name. Help us by your spirit, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all.